Hello, and welcome to Ernie Ball's Striking a Chord podcast. I'm Evan Ball. Today, I'll be speaking with System of a Down bassist, Shavo Odajian. In this conversation with Shavo Odajian, we speak about his move to the U.S. from Armenia as a kid, the founding and early days of System of a Down, their live plans for next year, and the unique band dynamic of sort of cordoning off the recording aspect of the band while continuing to tour together and maintain strong friendships, and dealing with the public obsession with a new System record. Shavo also discusses the albums that have had the greatest impact on him, and his new band, North Kingsley. They've been busy writing lots of material and have begun releasing some of the songs. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Shavo Odajian. Shavo Odajian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, our pleasure. All right, I have a quick series of true or false questions for you. Bring it. <laughs> true, or, true or false, one of the reasons you're called System of a Down instead of Victims of a Down so your CDs would be closer to Slayer's CDs and record stores. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why, but because when that, but but when it did, when we did change the system, uh, I realized that hey, it's even better here because now we're next to Slayer. <laughs> okay, so an added added bonus. It was an added bonus. It was okay. the real reason was because I didn't want to be because I thought if we ever got big, uh, victims of a down would be known as victim. And I was like, I never want to be called victim. Like you know, right now they go system system at the shows, right? Right. Uh, would I want to be called victim? Victim? Not so much. Oh, good foresight. Mm. All right. Uh, true or false, you were standing next to Arnold Schwarzenegger in ACDC's Big Gun video. Big ass true. <laughs> <laughs> Big true. How did that come about? <laughs> That's me. Uh, it was the college days and uh, one kid that I was friends with worked at Kinko's. And um, Kinko's, you know Kinko's? Kinko's yeah, yeah. yeah Co- so, copies. I don't know if it's still around. Yeah, copies. And I guess... ACDC's management was making the little passes for the big gun video shoot for all the fans to come and be in the audience, mm-hmm. to shoot the video. It was at the Van Nuys airport. They were shooting. So he goes, yeah, man, I made some extra copies <laughs> so we can all go. Right. So I was like, fuck yeah, let's go. Now it's like a 10 of us. We all went to the airport and we were like in the group of people. There was like at least a thousand people, 800 people. And we were in that crew and then they rushed us into a hangar and there was this big ass cannon and a stage set up. We're like, fuck yeah. ACDC, and then all of a sudden they bring Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? fuck it. And then I was, I just made a joke. I was like, here, put him here, put him here, where I was standing, and I just like, kind of was loud. Yeah. It brought him right next to me, next to no me. Oh, yeah. So ne- there I am next to Arnold, and I'm kind of cracking jokes to him and shit. And it was hilarious. And he's looking back at who's this kid. And then uh, when they shot the scenes, the light from the on stage hit me more than it hit him. So I'm sure you can, I'm glowing next to Arnold. It's like, there's two of us in the scene instead of him and a bunch of kids. It's him and I and a bunch of kids. So it's kind of funny, That's man. That's funny. Like, yeah. When that came out, people tripped out there and kept calling me. Oh, man, did I just see you on the, on, in the new ACDC video? Well, I was wondering out of a sea of people, how did, yeah. how did you get right there? But it sounds like you kind of lobbied for the position. I did a little bit, but I didn't think it would work. It was a joke. Like, hey, come here. Yeah, look, it's going to work. And it really worked. I was like, oh, shit. This shit. They really like, they must have heard me or it was a coincidence. I don't know, man. Oh, that's cool. Right cool. place at the right time. That's what it was. All right. True or false. Chop Suey has almost 1 billion views on YouTube. It had that a while back. This is the second time it's going to 1 billion. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. I mean, there's only so many videos that that make yeah, yeah, that, no, that it mark. turned one billion. I remember when it was turning one billion a while back. They were like, oh, okay, one, and then I think something happened. Old to news. That one. Yeah, old news. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. I always like to get a guest history on this show, and then we can talk about what you're doing now, which I know includes a new project called North Kingsley. Looking forward to that. Uh, but first, when did you start playing guitar or bass? Um, I started when I was about 12, 13. My grandma bought me um, a Kramer XL2 back in the day, and uh, it became my best friend. So your grandma, did she just, did you ask for it or something she just thought, oh, I bet Shava would be a, a good guitar player? No, no, no. I've been, I've been a fan of music since I was born. It's kind of been in me uh, from Armenia. You know, they've been listening to music and they always had music around and uh, they had all the old Beatles records all in like Russian print and stuff. Um, so I listened to music for a long time. Boney M, Africa, Simon, Alba, um, a bunch of other artists that we had in Armenia. And then when we got to America, when I was five years old in 79, I, um, I saw Kiss on Solid Gold. And, uh, and then I would see like Kiss murals all over L.A. And um, uh, uh, funny enough, I lived on North Kingsley Drive. That's where the name comes from, by the way. So, yeah, so I, I saw Kiss and I was just a fan of it. I was just taken by it, you know. And uh, so I always wanted a, a musical instrument. I've been asking my parents for years. After that, just started asking every year, every day. And they just wouldn't do it for me. They, I think it was the old Armenian mentality of like, you know, if you're an artist, you're going to be a starving artist. So they didn't want that for me. They wanted me to go to school, study, become sure. a lawyer or whatever, a doctor, you know, the way the old country, the old customs are. But because I was relentless, <laughs> I kept on asking and kept on asking and never let it go, my grandma just said, let's get this kid a freaking guitar. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. so, yeah, so she on, on the side kind of like got it for me, didn't really tell anybody that she did that. And once it was already at my house, it was at my house, right? So I'm not gonna give it back. And with a little practice amp and I put it up in my room and I just went at it. And uh, actually the a funny story is they gave me, they had this guy, one of my, I guess my dad's uncle or something, my dad's cousin, because he's a flamenco guitar player, like all professional. And he uh, was supposed to give me lessons. and. Uh, Second lesson in, he was already like teaching me like say the third chord and I was already like six chord. I was like already like I had already gotten like this chord book and I was already all over it, you know? So yeah. he was teaching me things I already knew. Uh, it was just been two weeks and I kind of surpassed that, you know, and I didn't take lessons anymore. It was two lessons and that's it. And after that, I just... You were so self-motivated, you probably didn't need it. That's what it was, bro. I just, I love doing it so that's the thing bro if you love doing something in your life you're gonna do it good right exactly so that's what it was bro i yeah. just did it i stayed home i also skateboarded at the time it was like skateboarding and guitar that was my life yeah well let me back up real quick so so i know you were born in armenia which was part of the soviet union back then i believe yeah, yeah it was you said you were five do you do you speak armenian yes i do fluently okay very cool and yeah. then do you so do you do you write it and read it too i know it has its own alphabet it does. We have we actually have thirty seven letters. It's crazy. Um, yeah, my parents sent me to an Armenian private school for the first ten years of my life. Uh, so I learned to read and write. They just wanted me to keep my culture, you know. Yeah. And uh, it was the best thing that they could have done, man. Uh, at, at at the time, I was pissed off. I wanted to be normal. I wanted to go to regular school with the kids on my street. You know what I mean? Uh, in Hollywood. But you know, in the long run, when you when you look back, it's like the best thing they could have done. You know For what I mean? For sure. Yeah, it, yeah. It gave me an identity. It gave me some like cultural culture, you know, all, all sorts of good stuff. So you already spoke it though before going to school because you spoke it as a kid, right? Exactly. And yeah. but my mom 
was an, a language major. So she, um, she knew a bunch of languages, like five, six languages. So um, she knew we were going to come to America. She, this was all planned, of course, because it wasn't just me and my mom and dad came. You know, it was like, I don't know, like cousins, aunts, uncles, everyone just kind of really? got okay. 20, yeah. 30 people and like moved together as a, as a, like a team, you know, a group of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of had, I kind of knew English too, a little bit, like just thing like words and like phrases and stuff. So it wasn't like I came here and I was like nothing, you know, but it was kind of hard, man. It was kind of hard. Actually the first, I, I didn't right away go to Armenian school. Um, my kindergarten, I went to a public kindergarten in Hollywood called Ramona elementary. Uh, and there I, it was a culture shock, you know, it's like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never been away from my folks. Yeah. So I kind of had like separation anxiety. I just remember crying a lot and not wanting them to leave me there. And, you know, there was a bunch of different cultures and races and stuff. And I, so it was a big culture shock. Yeah, you're five years old. Yeah. Five years sure. old. And now all of a sudden I have to be like, you know, um, go to school. I, I, I never went to school in Armenia. Hey, I'm curious. So Serge and John, uh, singer, drummer of System of a Down, I know they were born in Beirut. Was it kind of a diaspora community where they, they also spoke Armenian? We all spoke Armenian. Okay. They're born in Lebanon, but they're Armenian. They're just, you know, yeah, after yeah. the genocide, all the fa- in 1915, all like majority of the Armenians scattered across the world. So hence we have Armenians from all over the place. Like we have Iraqi Armenians, Lebanese. Right, right. So they were still in a community in Beirut, right? Yeah, they were in an Armenian community in Beirut. You know, a lot of people came to America. A lot of people went to the UK. Originally, when we moved to America... We moved to New York, and oh. uh, I lived in Queens for a few months. I, we were going to just stay there. So my life was going to be totally different. But my dad's side decided to move to the West Coast, while my mom's was wanted to stay on the East Coast. But my mom decided to, of course, move with my dad and my dad's side so I can have a family and a dad and stuff. You know what I mean? A father. So because of that one move, I became an L.A. kid and grew up on North Kingsley and uh, – saw skateboarding and saw, you know, music and chose that as my, yeah as my life. I could have gone completely different. Was it an Armenian neighborhood? Okay. At the moment, North Kingsley is in, <laughs> it's funny because they, they call it little Armenian now. And at the time, that's not what it was. It was just a, a neighborhood in LA. There was people yeah. who didn't know what Armenian was, you know what I mean? And Armenian was like this, like, um, exotic, uh, <laughs> like race, you know, yeah, like yeah, what, yeah. what's an Armenian? Is it Albanian? Is it Romanian? You know, they, it was like anything on the IAN, they just, put it all together. Well, after I think system, we kind of like opened the world up to more Armenians and Armenians started like speaking more and being more like, yeah, that's, that's amazing. You guys became such strong cultural ambassadors. Crazy, right? Yeah. 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 And so, so all you guys went to that same Armenian school, right? Where, where curriculum was taught bilingually. Yeah. Three of us did. Uh, Darren, Serge and I. Did you know each other while you're in high school or actually was, was this high school? I don't know how, how many grades it went to. It goes 12 grades. Well, okay, we knew we knew of each other, but we weren't friends. Like, we weren't okay. like buddies. We weren't, like, Serge was uh, many years above Darren and I, and Darren was one year younger than me. So he was, like, if I was in sixth grade, he was in fifth grade. But Serge was, like, five, six years, uh, maybe more, ahead of us. So they have, like, a, a picture of you guys in the cafeteria? <laughs> that would be funny, right? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. All right, so moving forward to music. So initially... Darren and Serge are in a band together called Soil, and you became the band manager, right? Yeah, that's kind of how it happened. Okay. It was more like, okay, so 
I used to always like try myself out. This is when I moved to the bass. I was a guitar player for the first 12 to like 17, five, six years of my life yeah. uh, of music. Uh, I was a guitar player, but as I got better and I wanted to start bands, the bass players were either one of two. One was like, they were either virtual, trying to be virtuoso, like a Les Claypool, you know what I mean? Right. Or they just weren't picking the bass up. They weren't like meat and potatoes. I always saw a bass player as like the rock, the steady, the keep the groove. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to battle the guitar player. You have to do what you do. So the guitar player has this open place to do whatever they do. And so both of you can shine. Right, you know? right. What I, well, what I started seeing was a lot of people in competition with the guitar player. Bass players had like this chip on their shoulder going, well, since I'm the bass and I'm behind, I have to do more, which is the wrong way to go, right? So I kind of at some point decided I'll, I'm going to have to do this. So I traded in my – I had a Randall half stack, the big dime bag amp, which I swore by. It was, had the greatest crunch, greatest sound. I traded that in for an Ibanez bass at Guitar Center when I was like 17, 18. And uh, my new thing started and I bought this like off the recycler, which was this, um, I don't know if it's still around. It was a, like a Craigslist, you know, mm -hmm. but in print, you know, not online. And I bought this PV amp, which soon became an Ash uh, Ampeg. Anyway, so I practiced and I kind of took what I had from the guitar with the mentality that I thought that the bass player sh should do in my own head, whatever that was. I kind of did that. And I uh, found some bands to play with and jam with. So this is, I'm just leading out to how I even re-met yeah. these guys. So, so I was in Burbank at a studio down in like the off-ramp of the Five Freeway. We, I rehearsed with this band called Roswell. In that complex, an old friend of mine was also jamming. He, he had this band. It was like an 80s vibe-like band. And he was like, I have this uh, guitar player coming in. Stick around. I want to hear what you have to say about this person, right? And I was like, okay, sure. You know, he wanted my opinion because, you know, we played together. He, he liked my suggestions, my opinions. In walks Darren. And I'm like, I remember this kid from somewhere, you know? Uh, yeah, he, said, oh, yeah. well, he went to school with us. And people, oh, wow, okay. So, he, dude, this, he started, he put his guitar on and they jammed like songs like uh, Ain't Talking About Love and like Rush and all these, like they did covers, right? And I was like, dude, this kid jammed the guitar and sang. He sang too. I was like, seriously? Uh, oh, actually, he was going to come in, I think, to, to be a singer. I think they were trying him out as a singer. Okay. So rewind, yeah. As a singer, but he also played guitar. They had two guitar players, right? One was the guy's brother, and one was this other strange guy that I guess was in for maybe a couple of weeks or months. And what my suggestion at the end of the night was, I said, I go, Dave, dude, watch. This guy is so badass. I said, you should hold on to him as a singer and as a guitar player, get rid of that one guy because he doesn't fit in the band. And I go, it could be a great unit without having an extra member, you know? So you'll still be four members, you know? Yeah. And, but if the singer will play guitar and it'll be awesome. So that's what happened. That's what they did. Eventually that band broke up and the bass player, my friend, Darren and Serge, Serge was in another band playing in the same complex. So I say now, now it's three units mixing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, they got Serge to sing for this new unit they started called Soil. And this music was coming out with the drummer. It was this um, Hawaiian kid drumming. And he was a really badass drummer. He had these like huge, his drum set was huge. Like the toms were huge. The, the <laughs> kick was huge. Like this big ass thing, he would hide behind it. You know, A yeah. lot of cymbals, you know what I mean? Like cymbal crasher, you know what I mean? But the, kid, the dude knew how to write songs. So he, I think he developed also Darren's songwriting. 
they were writing songs and I would play with my band and then I would run in their place and I would hang out with them when we took breaks, you know, because these are my old friends. They became friends more, you know, Mm -hmm. we got closer and closer and closer. And as we bonded, you know, there was no room for me to join the band. So it was like, you know, you talk well, you know, you know things, you know, why don't you be our manager? I'm like, fuck, you know, I'm down, you know, I'll do that. And so that's what it, that's what it was going to be. I was going to gotcha. be there. Okay. So that's how it started. So they got one gig at a club called Fade Dodo. I remember this like it was yesterday. And I was there, of course, like trying to get it all ready and stuff. And then after that, I was going to get him gigs. I even like made my way, found my way to Zach the De La Roca's house from Rage Against the Machine. I found, I was seeing this girl at the time, like a friend who told me, yeah, you know, in, in this area of LA, Silver Lake, I think it was, or Atwater or something, uh, Zach's there from Rage and he throws parties every Friday. You should go to the party and he has bands play. You could get your band to play at his house. And I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, let's do this. So I even showed up with Serge. So Rage is already fairly big at this point, right? I think so. I'm not, it was early nineties. I I don't think it was, it was early. Yeah. They were like, it was like 90, it was probably like 93, 94. I didn't get a hold of, I was at his, we we made it to his house. I got his address somehow. I don't know what happened. We got there and it was like a regular party, five bucks to get in. And I saw Stanford prison experiment there. I discovered that. I was like, Whoa, great band. They're out. They're out now again. They're back. Uh, Stanford prison experiment. Amazing. And I saw Tom Morello and I kind of talked to him. I was like, hey, man, uh, he didn't know who I was, nothing. I introduced myself. I was like, I got this band. I want them to uh, play here. What do I do? He was like, talk to Zach. I just never got a chance to talk to Zach, but I was going to make it happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Around the same time, I get a call from the bass player at like maybe like a couple of weeks after. He's like, he was not in a great place. He was like, I'm not, I'm not going to play in uh, soil anymore. I think that they want you to play bass for them. And I'm like, what are you saying? You know, I was like, it's like saying I'm not with my girlfriend anymore, but my girlfriend wants you, you know? And I'm like, fuck, right, right. I'm not doing that. You know, I'm crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. not going to do that, dude. That's like, that's like, that's forbidden shit. You know what I mean? So anyways, so I just kind of like blew it off. He hits me back. He's like, bro, listen, you do bond really well with these guys. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to do it. If anyone's going to do it, you should do it. Cause you're already managing them. Why not? You know what I mean? Like you should do it. I'm, you have my blessing. I'm like, fuck bro. You're making this hard for me. But it was becoming like, easier to listen to you know and then all of a sudden darren hits me up and darren would i mean we never really talked outside of in the studio with them you know yeah. all of a sudden he hits me up he's like yo man i want you to come to serge's house I want to talk to you about something i'm like oh here it is so i go and they say hey man we have good news and bad news i'm like well good news is we want you to play the you know play bass and soil and stuff bad news is our drummer just left i'm like wait a second uh, i thought your bass player didn't say yeah the drummer just left too he's having a baby he's went to hawaii he has to move back to hawaii so but anyway, we could develop together. I said, okay, cool, man. I think this is better because now we get to develop together. It's not like I'm taking the place of someone, you know? And as we talked and like shared ideas, we thought it was better to just break that band up. So not be soil anymore and start something fresh with new music and with a new breath, with new me, find a new drummer. And that's when System was born. Gotcha. Okay. So that's you joined... It, the plan was to join Soil, but officially you joined at the very inception of System of a Down. We incepted, yeah. We we yeah. made that happen. It was part of what, what we did together. It wasn't, instead of, I was going to join Soil, but Soil broke up. And you guys ditched the old songs, the Soil we ditched, songs. We ditched the arrangement of the old songs. We actually used, like there's a song, we have a song called Soil. There's a, the riff in Soil is a riff that was in, in the band Soil. So we used that riff. For example, the song Sugar, 
the ending of Sugar, like was an was the, an as a middle part of a soil song, and I wrote that the riff for Sugar, the don 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 don. I did that, and then I thought of how rad would it be if this like little jazz part happened, and that part came in, and that's how Sugar was born. You know, and so we used little parts here and there. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't like use the arrangement or anything. But that was only for the first record. Yeah. So so mid nineties. I assume this is. Or like mid nineties when you guys it's, it's start. Around 94, yeah. 95 now. 95. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's I know there's a lot of new things happening in, in metal and heavier music. As, as kind of a historical marker, I always think of Deftones Adrenaline coming out in yeah. ninety five, just as a, a marker in my head. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's roughly where we're talking about. Not that you guys sound like them, but just to point out that it was a time when metal was kind of branching out and I don't know. Did you guys feel change in the air during this era? Yeah. See, there's another thing. So I also took on the role of management, right. For the new band system. So I just had to like know what was going on out there. So uh, it was hard for us to get a gig. So we, once we had, we had a drummer, once we kind of rehearsed and wrote songs. So now let's fast forward. We have like about eight songs, six to eight songs. And we're like, okay, now we can play live. I started calling clubs. I, I wasn't familiar with the LA scene, you know, but what was going on in the LA scene was everything was going on. I mean, the shit was popping at that point. Yeah, you know, yeah. People, you know it was a corn, uh, Deftones. There was bands like Manhole and Human Waste Project and Mind Heavy Mustard and uh, so many to know, Cold Chamber, um, Suffer. All these bands that were like Static, like oh, Static came a little after, but so all these bands were coming out and like playing and. I started going to shows, you know, just to see where we were going to belong. You know, how are we going to do shows? We have to be, I have to know the the climate, you know? Yeah. So I started going to the Roxy, it was Gazari's for a second. Um, Roxy, Whiskey, you know, all those. So I started calling the clubs up to get a show and they wouldn't give me a show because we don't have a demo. We we didn't have enough money to make a demo at the time. It wasn't like now where you have a computer and you can make it, you can make a demo on your phone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, it was hard. It was like a cash 22. We didn't have money to make, to, to get a demo. We didn't have enough demo to get a show. So uh, which comes first, chicken or the egg. Right. So um, we, I just kind of like bombarded. I was working at a bank at the time also. So I would do phone calls doing, uh, I was doing wire transfers. I was answering calls for wire transfers for a specific bank. And uh, between every call, I said the story before, between every call, I would call the Roxy or the Whiskey or someone. And I was like, yo, with the span system of down. Yeah, you called a second ago. I know, bro, I'm going to keep calling. You don't have a demo. <laughs> yeah, I know I don't have a demo, but I need a show. Click. Oh, fuck, dude. Yeah. Okay. So was your boss supportive? Uh, he didn't know, bro. He it, was, know, yeah. it was on the headphones, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like I had, the, I had the things going on in the you know, the headpiece, you know, but he was supportive because he knew I was in a band and he knew that's what I was going to do. And he always used to like, he was this very eccentric dude, uh, the, the boss of that area, that, that department. So he was really cool with me. So I was, I was someone that was like, you know, not, not a bad seed, you know, so I was doing well. So yeah. if I did, if he did know, he let me go do it. So he was very supportive. Yeah. So eventually I got the main guy from the Roxy who ended up being our tour manager on our first tour, the guy that would hang up on me the most. He uh-huh. gave me a phone number of a pr- promoter, Brian Markovich. That was his name. And the dude, I called the dude up. He's like, listen, can you sell tickets? I'm like, yeah, of course we could sell tickets. And we had friends and stuff that were already supporting us. They would come to our practice and they would watch us re- rehearse. And we'd have like 20, 30 people come out and play. We would play to them like a show, but at our warehouse area, you know, in, in uh, North Hollywood. See, so finally he gave me 75 tickets to sell. And it was May 28, 1995. That was our first show. And uh, we sold about over 140, 150 tickets, bro. We had to go back and ask for more tickets. Yeah. So uh, is this support of friends or are you already getting a following from word of it mouth? Was, 
friends and friends of friends yeah. and the fact that we were armenian and there was no other like there be there were a couple of armenian bands that came around before us you know in the lhc but nothing uh-huh. like us so it was like we had a lot of support and remember we had a lot of friends and we used to do this all the time so everyone was just excited for us to like do this so they can all go to a club and be happy and go crazy yeah, sure. you know? so it was like a it was really like support we had a lot of support bro it was great and uh since we didn't have a demo he had no clue where to book us you know how to bill us so he put us in a, on a ska night. It was like seven bands. <laughs> we were one of seven bands. There, it was like three before us, three after us. We were right in the middle, sandwiched between checkers, <laughs> black and white checkers. Yeah, yeah. And so, and it was a quiet night. It was like a free night on a Tuesday, uh, $3 to get in if you're under 21. Above 21, it's free. You could go drink. And it was like 30, 40 people in the crowd during the first three bands we get on and the like like 100 people show 150 people and it, they start a pit and it gets crazy and we had this banner about the armenian genocide we made a statement it was like political and shit and it was like yeah, yeah. going on here dude you know <laughs> and luckily there was a writer at the show from a local paper rock city news who um wrote about us that that next day of publishing put something came out and Roxy would come out Thursdays and this was a Tuesday so he wrote last minute Wednesday boom no made, way. Them, wow. made the paper saying something went down in LA this week and I was a witness and it was a band system, yeah the down <laughs> called us the down you know? <laughs> yeah and it was like people started noticing like whoa he was like and he, he I still have the public the publication so, man, I just took that and ran. And then I already booked that night of the first show. I booked the second show a, a month after at the Whiskey. And we sold the same amount of tickets. And then after that, we never had to sell tickets again. Let's hop over to uh, North Kingsley real quick. Yes. So if people haven't heard it, but they know System of a Down, how do you describe North Kingsley's music? It's not like System of a Down's. Right. I don't have, I mean, there's the DNA of the riffs and stuff, because I've written riffs for System, you know, as I said. So... It's still me writing riffs, and I've really progressed throughout the years. You know, I've, I think I have. I think I'm a lot better at it. I know how to arrange better. I know, you know, I'm like doing in North Kingsley what I saw Rick do to us. You know, I'm also producing it. Yeah. And I'm accompanied by two amazing people, uh, Sorrow and Ray. Sorrow's the sickest producer. He keeps amazing me with his beats and his sounds and shit that he's doing. Yeah, what's his background? His background is he he came in. Okay, look, I met him at my friend's studio, and I just was like intrigued by the fact that he knew how to run like Logic Pro so well. That's the program that's on the Max, you know, to make yeah, music. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, teach me what you know. You know, he's like, fuck yeah, I'll teach you. And he was in this little side project, not side, but a little band with Ray, and uh, they had they had songs and they were cool, uh, politically charged and shit, like socially charged and aware. And I was like, that's good shit, but. I had this other thing in mind, you know, and I wanted, I was like, at that point I was kind of frustrated. I wasn't finding people to make new music with. And I was just like, I'm going to do this myself. I just got to learn the program and just do it. Right. And as he came along to the studio once or twice, the second time we already kind of wrote something together, like with his, with his talent of like beat making, he's, he comes from an old school of like production, you know, he's like, does he have a hip hop background? Yeah. Straight okay. up hip hop, but a lot of Armenian vibes too. Like he samples, old music that I don't even know exists, you know, like he takes it. Right. A couple of your songs have that, 
right? Well, you've only released three. We've only released three. You haven't heard nothing yet. Like we just yeah. released the basic three that like we wrote first. <laughs> There's like so much more. And the reason why I'm breaking it up in threes is because we're such a new act and people are used to from me hearing systems. So I kind of wanted to give them food to digest, take yeah, in. Ease into it. Ease into it instead of dropping a whole record on you. And then you're just like not knowing where to go with it. One thing that's similar to system, I think. The one thing that is, is like that if this, if all the 12 songs, if all 12 songs that we have at the moment were put into a record, it's like system where not one song sounds like the other, but they all fit the DNA of the band. It's like yeah. on our first album, we had a Sweet Pea, Peephole, Spiders. None of those songs, right. tense, if you think it's the same band, but it is, right? Um, that's what we do. We don't sound the same. None of the songs sound the same, it's the, but the formula is there. The band, you... You can know, you you hear the vocals, you know it's the same band. You hear the sound of the drums, you know it's the same band. You hear the sound of the guitar and the bass, you know it's that band. So it's like I'm creating something where it's original again. It's just a different genre, bro. Um, I couldn't do what we did already. I don't want to do that. I can't do that. That, was, that happens when the four of us get together, system of a down. I would never ever try to step on that toes you know those toes because that's big toes to step on you know <laughs> i had to do what i'm natural at and what these guys are natural at and it took two years to develop it wasn't like we got together boom there was the first song fucking shotguns or or whatever it was more like we wrote beats and beats and i played over beats and then all of a sudden that developed into putting two together and then vocals came in and we had to arrange because he was he was he was crazy like his vocals were like one long verse from the beginning of the song to the end of the song was like yeah, and, and the vocalist, is it Ray Hawthorne? Is that his name? Ray Hawthorne, man. He's amazing. He's original, man. And I'm really I'm really lucky to have him, bro. Um, I kind of helped him develop just like, you know, I've been through this. This is not my first rodeo. And like, I've seen Rick Rubin mold Serge. You know what I mean? Serge's vocals and like, cut this up, say more here, say less here. Kind of that inspiration I took and I just naturally it happened because I know when I hear yeah, something, I'm like, okay. a lot. Yeah, let's break this down to a verse, a chorus, a middle part, another chorus. So it's like I have it in my head, the formula, and then I take what we make and then I kind of chop it up like that with the guys, of course. And eventually in the last two years, we developed the formula where we all know where we stand and what we do. So it's like we go into the studio and it's like we bang it out. It's like I have a riff, I bring in, he already has a beat, I throw it over that beat, then we cut up the beat, then we have vocals come in. Maybe the vocal's already there and I write a riff towards the vocal pattern. and. So it's so fun. It's like, it's liberating, bro. It's liberating to do this again because I really loved writing music with System of a Down. I loved creating. I know Darren wrote a lot of music. Serge brought a lot of stuff in. I brought stuff in. That was so special, you know? And then it stopped. In, in 15 years ago, it stopped. And I miss it, man. I miss making music. I did, I did this for a living, not to become famous. I did this just so I can keep on playing music, you know? Uh, and it sucks that after fame, we kind of stopped, you know? And uh, so this was really like i said the word is liberating to like be able to make music again with people that i bond with right and you know they're years younger than me man they're like in their 30 one's 30 one's 31 and it's like i connect with them musically like like we've always been doing this you know and that's yeah. that's a great feeling and it's like when you have that you got to take it and run so he's not even just a rapper the guy he raps because he's so badass at it he doesn't he's a singer really but I okay. didn't want to make it rap rock. You know, I didn't want to do that. But there's songs coming out where it's full singing with okay. a little bit of hip, a little bit of hip hop, but it's we have a lot of angles. So I feel like there's a lot of places we could still go. So it's very interesting to me, exciting to me, because it's like if you like what you've heard, 
I think you're going to love what you're about to hear. And then you're going to love even more what we're coming with because we're building and it keeps getting better. Like, like we did one yesterday. There's a song where we're going to get a feature from one of my favorite hip hop groups, uh, Cypress, you know, we're going to, this is between, nice. us, <laughs> between yeah. you and anyone else listening. <laughs> between you and, and I, it was an older song that we had written. Uh, we just went in and like the way Sara presented it to me last night, I was taken, man. It was like so badass that I can't wait to play that for B and have him drop his words on there. It'd be, it's going to be amazing. So like there's things that are coming that are, is very exciting for me. Do words come pretty easily to Ray? Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he even like helps me, you know, I got 22 red, my brand. Yeah. My yeah. Brand. So I have, we do like cool things. I, I love like putting messages inside like boxes and inside the t-shirts, like and the hoodies. Like if you wear it inside out, there's like words written in there. Like people, oh, okay. people don't even know until they start washing their stuff inside out. And like, Oh shit, there was writing in there. We didn't know about. Right. Yeah. I love it like that. So he helped me write some of those phrases. He's just really good with words, man. It's like, uh, I tell him a direction. I give him a direction. And he goes. Not to say he doesn't have direction himself. He's like all over, bro. He has songs for days. We can have three albums now if it was up to Ray. Because but you're could. sort of corralling the the all the uh, creative energy and putting it into the the right format and, and arrangements. Right? Yes, yes. That's the thing I do away from writing the riffs and putting songs together. I'm also doing that because, and that's what they trust me. That's what we do. Like, listen. It takes the three of us to make what we do. I couldn't do that without them. You know what I mean? So since I have amazing things from them, I'm able to do that. I'm able to corral it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I said, man, it is a unit. It's not, it started off as a side project, but it's becoming something that I feel like could be something on its own without even using the Shavo system of a down name. Like not trying to use the system name so much because, you know, people expect different things and also using the right. system name. A lot of people, it's, it's, it's turned into a meme, this whole, like, where's the new album? You know, it's been 15 years when I'm putting, when I'm posting something political and you're asking me where the new album is, or if I'm posting something about the new band and you're putting, you're saying, where's the new album? And, you know, it's like, that's, that's not fun to hear. You know, if I can make a new album on my own with, you know, I would have of course. stop reaming me with it. You know, uh, we're sorry that we weren't, we haven't come up with a new album for you guys. You know what I mean? I would love, I'm the guy. <laughs> let's go, bro. Let's, let's get in that studio and make a record. We have music. It's just hasn't happened yet. So probably I, stockpiles of music. I would think between uh, all of you. <laughs> imagine, imagine. Right. Uh, and so, I just wish it would happen. So I, I'm kind of at this point wishing it would happen so I wouldn't have anyone tell me anymore and ask me for it anymore. It's become, become a thorn in my side. You know, it's like, fuck, dude, stop ramming that in my side. You know, like stop shanking me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what it feels like, man. As much as I adore it, I also like, it's like, fuck, man. Like I'm trying to do something new because I can't do the old thing because it takes more than one person to tangle, right? So let me do what I can right now. And then if that comes around again to me, I'm going to take that and run, you know, but right now this is what's in front of me. So this is what I'm going to write, you know, that's, that's great. You, you've got this outlet with, with, uh, people you're creatively compatible with and Bro, uh, not perfect. Yeah. Hey, what part of LA is North Kingsley? I mean, you said you, you named it after yeah. your, your street that you grew up on. It's East Hollywood. It's, uh, I lived between fountain and sunset and that's the perimeter is like Western and Vermont in the middle of that. Okay. So it's like Hollywood, east of Western, west of Vermont, right there, smack dab. That's where our old school was, too, in that area. The mm -hmm. Armenian school that we went to was in that area. Okay. So all the kids from the Armenian school that uh, follow me on on uh, Instagram and stuff, like anyone that like still 
you know, follows my ass and like, oh, that's Shavo from the when we were kids. They're like, is that the North Kingsley you grew up on? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, bro. <laughs> that's what it is. It's like people that's trip cool. out. Yeah, some of my friends from the street have hit me up. Like, dude, that's our street's name. I'm like, I know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Are you going to have a guitar on when you play live? I am. This is okay. going to be my guitar band. Yeah. You have a guitar <laughs> and then vocalist, obviously. And then is it Sorrow? Sarah? Sorrow. Sorrow, yes. Sorrow. So he will basically have be in charge of the beats, right? He'll, he'll he'll, the electronic component. Electronic component, but I'm, we might take on two new members uh, just for live. Um, yeah. If I play the if I decide to play the bass on a song, I'm going to have him play the guitar. If I decide to play the guitar on a song, he's going to play the bass. I also have a drummer in mind who's okay. a hip-hop drummer to come in just for live. It'll make it more exciting. But I don't want to take away that beat savvy that he has, that sorrow has, that like, element of like like the low tones and the sounds i don't want to change that i don't want it to turn into new metal dude that's what we're right, not right. doing you know that's right. something we're way on another platform you know but sometimes it's a thin line you know because when you have a drummer and you have a rapper and you have guitar and bass it turns to that i don't want that so we're still figuring that out if we're just going to go with the three of us and just kind of do programs and live that might be the way to go yeah all right so next year we should look out for you Hundred percent. Looking yeah. forward to the second they open the gates and say go, we're running. Like we're like we're, we're <laughs> every spending. venue in the country is going to be packed with every band ready to go. That's what if we could do all the venues at once, we're going to do it. You know what I mean? Like if we can like teleport, and we would be doing that. And then does System of a Down have any gigs lined up or, or tours? Yeah, we do. We do. We uh, what we had last year. We have half of what we had last year. We kind of broke it down in half because of what's going on. So we have the two LA shows with Corn, Faith No More coming up in may and then in june we're doing europe uh we have i think 11 shows i'm not sure okay all right such an interesting dynamic from the outside that you guys can still play all these shows together and sort of cordon off the uh recording new material part sucks right (laughs) (laughs) well it's cool that you guys can still do it and and sort of section it off i guess better than nothing i mean dude it's better than nothing and uh beggars can't be choosers i always say that so Dude, I'll take whatever I can get because I love I love my units. You know, I love system. I love the guys. They're you know they're my friends over anything. You know, even if I don't see them or talk to them for months, I'll we're we, we're on the phone. We're best friends. Yeah. That's how I am with them. Nothing has gone down so terrible that we can never. That's why I'm, I'm always optimistic. And whenever I say that, it becomes headlines. Oh, Shavo's optimistic. Well, yeah, bro, I'm optimistic about a lot of things. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. But the reason why I'm optimistic is because, dude, like nothing's been done that can't be undone. It's not like someone said or did something that's end all. It's not like, God forbid, anyone's passed away. Nothing. We're still all here. We still can talk. We still could play. We're still alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, dude, the, yeah, you know, it's, that is, it's just such a, uh, seems like a unique dynamic. I mean, the reason it's an issue, I'm sure, is because you guys all care so much. Yes. 100%. And so I could see it getting heated in, in certain environments, but it's admirable that everyone can remain friends and, and separate band biz from friendship. If we can just like agree, you know, like if it wasn't, if people weren't so adamant about their, their views, you know, it would, it, it would be nice to just kind of like back up a little and say, you know, let's just do it and do it. Like, I'll listen to you if you listen to me instead of like, I think it should be this way. I think it should be that way. Okay. Well then that's not going to work because if you both, you know, it's like, it should be, I don't know, man. There's, so is, there's, it, is it band direction or more business of songwriting credit or, you know, plead the fifth if you want. I don't, 
I'm going to plead the fifth. It's yeah, okay. Here, I'll tell you, it's a mixture of a lot of stuff that's happened. And it's just kind of brewed to a point where because of social media and because of all this demand for the record, it's become taboo. It's become this thing. It's like bigger than it should be. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's become this crazy thing. The new system record, is it happening? Is it way too crazy, bro? Like everyone is a little weird because like Darren will post scars and they'll rip him up about the new record. Serge will post something political. They'll rip him up about the new record. John does something. Where's the new record? I'm posting North Kingsley. Where's the new record? I'm posting cannabis. Where's the new record? It's like, it's always there now. It became this thing that's like, we're like, fuck this, you know, fuck the, you know, it's, it's going to make me say fuck the new record if, because there's so much, you know, but you know what the flip side is we should be fucking honored <laughs> that people still care and want the new record. You know what I mean? Right, right, so, right. That's sort of this added pressure is the fact that you haven't released an album so long. So it's so highly anticipated. You know, everyone feels very strongly about not disappointing the public. I mean, is, is that part of it? I don't think so because I feel like there's, dude, we got some shit, bro. <laughs> I don't think it would disappoint anybody, you know? I really have faith in all our songwriting abilities and what we could do in the studio together is really, you know, I mean, if we just do it the way we know how to do it and we don't switch up the way we do it, yeah. then I think we'll be fine. I, I think it's just that some members might want to switch it up at this point. And when you switch it up after all this time, it might not work. You know, it's my yeah. personal opinion. Who knows? Is there a process you'd have to, to sift through the, the well of song ideas that have built up? It's crazy. The process, bro. Um, everyone kind of throws it in the pot and like you know darren's got all so much material serge had a bunch of songs that he had brought in and it's just a matter of taste and a matter of what should be you know the way we used to do it is we used to all bring songs in put them all make them all happen work on them together work on them separately bring them in record them all and then the four of us our manager and rick would uh, vote on each song without anyone knowing who voted. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. uh, so it's like, you know, it would be democratic as fuck. And that way, the A, the songs that were A made the record, the songs that were B could be on the record, the songs that C waited for another record or waited or just went away. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that was the process. If we can take that process and go, we'd be fucking making records every year. Are those like like riffs or more like fully fledged songs? Well developed afterwards. Like for Toxicity, we had 33 songs. And uh, we recorded all 33, listened to them, and then voted on the 13 or 14 that went on Toxicity. And then there was Steal This Album was, was the other songs that we redid and made it steal. Yeah. So. Gotcha. I just, I just know, like, even personally, like, my phone recordings just build up so fast. I don't even end up looking at my old ideas. I'm with you. you. Know? I'm, I have that in my, I was about to go through mine after this podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what I have in there, dude, there's so much stuff that is put in there that you forget, you know? Yeah. It, it's always so fun to come up with new stuff. But then you think, I probably have really cool stuff I've already written. It's just buried. Yeah. Yeah. That's the case. I have uh, I do this thing with my phone. I started doing it a couple of years ago where when I grab a guitar, I just press record on the video section and I just record riffs all everything that comes out of me I recorded then I would cut them up and like the good ones stayed the old ones the ones I didn't like after listening to it twice would get deleted and I still have those folders just you know and they were I was doing it for system I was like 
anything that resembled system of a down vibe that we could take and put into a song, I would just keep and keep. And I just kept them all. I still have them all. None of them have been used yet. You know? So yeah. Is it pretty clear now if you make up something, whether it would go in the the system folder or the uh, North Kingsley? Pretty much. I kind of know because I know how the other guys write. Like I know Darren and I know Serge, I know John. So it's like, I would, I'd say there's a certain amount that would go to them. And I think they would make that riff, those riffs together shine and be what they are need to be. And then there's a certain vibe I've been bringing to North Kingsley that is really, really working at the moment. Yeah, I would know. I would know for sure. Hence, I haven't used any of the system stuff with North Kingsley. You know, like Serge says, like, oh, I wrote these songs for system. And since that didn't happen, I'm going to release this album. Well, it's not that this. I'm not. I'm keeping those. I'm just holding on to this. There's more shit coming out of my head that I can give to North Kingsley that. Gotcha. There's no lack of materials. Yeah, I'm, I'm not using what I made for system on North Kingsley. Not at all. Can you name three albums that have most influenced you? I would go through a hundred. Uh, yeah. I did something the other day where I had some albums written down. I was doing uh, my favorite albums of all time. Um, yeah, I'll go through a bunch, okay? I'll okay. go through a bunch. I have it here. So uh, Compton's in the House by NWA. Okay. <laughs> Rain and Blood. Um, Slayer. Yeah. Walk Among Us, Misfits. Um, Bleach, Nirvana. Arise from Sepultura, 36 Chambers from Wu-Tang, Vulgar Display of Power, I mean, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Oh, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. That Public Enemy record fucked me up when I, I listened to that like on repeat. And I'll end it with Revolver from the Beatles. That's great. You had this list accessible, it sounds like. It was on my phone notes because I had oh, cool. okay. I, I did this one feature for a magazine where they were like, name us the 10 records that like, you started with listening to in the past that made a change in your life. And these are ones that I, when I got those records and I, when I discovered, I should say those records, something happened in my head where it was like, fuck dude, I was touched by them. And those are, there's more, but those ones really touched me. So we know you're an Ernie ball string player. What, what gauge are you using? The last few times I switched around, I was using, so I would go for, Oh, dude, you guys have done some great shit for me. Uh, some experimental shit. I remember we gold plated some of my uh, some of my strings. So I would take a five string set. I play four strings. So I would take a five string set, use the low string for my C strings. I'd tune it. So instead of tuning it oh, down. Oh, your E goes to a C? So my E goes to a C. So okay. now I would use a B string and I would tune it up to a C. Know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah. The B string on a five string. So I would use that for a C string. So I would tune it up to a C. So it was a tighter tighter than it was so i would into we have to intonate the bass all the time re-intonate because it's just really tight that's on a, that's a big fourth string yeah dude so and then i would use three two one for three two one but the, i would leave the fourth string out of the five string set so that was how i did it for a while so then i was thinking the time i was i used to play a lot with wu-tang i had this i toured with wu-tang for a bunch playing bass for them and uh i didn't even make it news i just did it you know and then whoever that's knew cool. whoever saw it saw it you know yeah uh, and I kind of was in this whole rap game thing. And so I asked you guys if you could um, dip my, because I, I know gold, gold is a really soft uh, metal, right? So uh, gold plated strings, I used to use gold plated strings, actual gold, and it would make the sound so fucking warm. So every time I played I with Wu-Tang, first of all, I looked badass, I had gold strings, right? And <laughs> secondly, and I was using your bongo bass too at the time. At, Ooh, uh, that's or, on stage Boom with on the Tang. yeah yeah and um and uh yeah i would use those gold plated strings bro and then you know who i gave my last bass to was jizza's little son uh, justice we i he was learning how to play the bass and he was really inspired by me and he was on 
tour. Yeah. So it was the last day of the tour, and I took it off my neck, off stage, and I handed it to the kid. He cried. He had tears in his eyes. It's so beautiful. Oh, uh, good to hear. Good to so hear. He probably still has it, I hope, you know? All right. Well, Shavo Dajian, thanks for being on the podcast. Man, thank you for having me, man. This was good. It went down memory lane. Thanks for tuning in to Striking a Chord, an Ernie Ball podcast. Be on the lookout for new North Kingsley songs. And if you like the podcast, why not give it a kind review on your favorite podcast app? If you'd like to contact us, please email strikingaccord at ernieball.com. I'm a collaborator. I'm not like the solo artist that sits there and like, oh, let me write the riff. Let me write the vocals. Even though I can hold notes and I can totally do background and I'm, I can maybe sing even. I just, that's not my forte, bro. It's not something that comes natural to me. What comes natural is what I want to do. And I think that's where North Kingsley is. It's like the stuff that I don't do, they do really well. So it's really a way of me being able to like put that into the package, you know?